Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. How about you get your Bible, crack that open, and um, we are going to launch into this second week, and um, let's see how I go. Um, But it's going to be very, very good. Juice. Well, I think we can appreciate the quality of a juice is dependent on the quality of its fruit. That makes sense, doesn't it? You know, that makes complete sense. Have you ever had like a juice? Like, have you gone to the the fridge and you just took some juice out and you just like took a sip? Like, that was just nasty. That was nasty stuff. Nasty, nasty stuff. If you get a a sour orange and you try to juice that, man, that juice is going to suck. You know what I'm saying? So the quality of a juice is completely dependent on the quality of its fruit. So we've got this series we called Juice. It's going to go for about two months. And as you can probably guess, it's a series about fruit, but not really. Trick you, it's not really about fruit. Not really. Not entirely, anyway. We're going to use fruit, but it's actually about something which is far deeper, and it's something that's really important for every single follower of Jesus Christ to come to groups with and to understand and actually protect as well. The key passage that we're going to be looking at tonight, and in fact, the key passage that we're going to be looking at for the remainder of this series, and the series will go for nine weeks, as you could probably tell as we're going to go through it, is actually um, a couple of verses, which is found in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. But you need to understand that what this passage is talking about is actually found in Galatians 5 verse 1. And Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, it is for freedom. Everyone say freedom. freedom. It is. You are. You have got a voice. That's good. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, this series is about fruit, but it's not really about fruit. It's actually about freedom. It's about Christian freedom. How many of you would like to live a free life in Christ, right? Because freedom seems to be on the tip of everyone's tongue at the moment, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of this. We even allow people to have the freedom to pick which AFL footy team they're going to barrack for these days. Absolutely ridiculous. In Kalamunda, there is a Collingwood supporter. Can you believe that? Outrageous. Outrageous. I can say that here. I'm safe. <laughs> But in a world, in this world that professes and prides itself on certain freedoms and certain liberties, I wonder how free we actually are sometimes if you think about it. You know, I'm free and you are free from certain persecutions, aren't we? Isn't it great we can come to church? You know, in some places, you can't go to church. You know, you've got to be hidden away. But we're in Perth, Western Australia. We can come in freedom to church. We can worship. And it just makes sense. I mean, if we can come in freedom to church, it just makes sense that we should be able to dance and celebrate and sing and shout. and You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't need to be a quiet, little, somber, beige, boring, little church. No! We're supposed to have the life of God in us, so it makes sense that we would have life. Isn't that right? Yeah, we got freedom of that. We're actually free and safe from raging wars around us. I mean, there's no bombs dropping outside, so that's all right. And in some sense, we're actually free from some sense of poverty living in a Western culture, in a Western country, as we are right now. But what about the state of our mind? What about the state of our soul? A.W. Towser said, In almost everything that touches our everyday life on earth, God is pleased when we're pleased. 
He wills that we be as free as birds to soar and sing our master's praise without, get this, without anxiety. Without anxiety. I mean, we can have a lot of external freedoms, but what about the freedom of our mind and our soul? Are there certain things in our soul, in our mind, and we would actually say, you know what, I'll look at the birds and they seem to be so free to fly and do whatever they want, but in all honesty, there are things that are limiting me and hindering me from singing my Maker's praise, my Heavenly Father's praise. There are things that actually enslave and entrap me. This passage is actually about freedom. It's about freedom. Now, slavery in our day comes in many, many different forms. You know, I, I, I put myself in the same boat. I think every single human does it to some degree, but we allow people's expectations to cripple us to the point where we seem to sometimes have this paralyzed self-doubts that propel us into this perpetual internal disharmony. Does that happen with anyone else or kind of like me? You know, do you have other people's expectations like sort of come and just like prison you in, right? <laughs> no, just me? All right. Are you guys lying in church tonight? Right? Just me. What about like the private prisons? You know, you can come to church, you sing hallelujah. But what about the private prisons of like addictions and self-loathing? And there's a lot of stuff that entraps us. And yet we live in this world that kind of we get into these things. Yet scripture says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What does that mean? You see, Paul, he's speaking to a church, a church in Galatia. And This church in Galatia, like us, have these certain freedoms in Christ. And what's happening in this church is that they are about to hand over their freedom and actually get caught in slavery once again. And what Paul is doing, if you even read from the beginning of the book of Galatians, you can see he is almost like screaming at the top of his lungs. He's trying to get their attention. Oi, don't do it. Don't give up your freedom. Don't give up your freedom. He's shouting, don't do it. And it's in this context of what Paul is doing that he starts to use this metaphor, which is so familiar to every single generation. Doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter what race you come from, doesn't even know what, doesn't even matter what period of human history you find yourself in. He starts using the metaphor of fruit. Starts talking about fruit. Mangoes. I love mangoes. Start talking about mangoes. Now before you're talking. Fruit is something that the Bible speaks about over and over again. Jesus said you're going to know a tree by its fruit. The book of Proverbs says that the fruit of righteousness should be on our lips. It doesn't mean it always is. It says it should be. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes there's other fruit that's on our lips. You know what I'm saying? But Proverbs said the fruit of righteousness should be on our lips. Just saying. In case you were wondering. Our actions are the fruit of our lives. In fact, Psalm 1 describes a man or a woman who walks in step with God and says that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do. See, fruit is this outward expression of an inward reality that the Bible actually uses in that context. So whatever's happening in my heart is going to be outworked in my life. And the Bible says that outworking is called fruit. Did you get that? That outworking is fruit. So the life of freedom is a life that's in step with the Holy Spirit, which is accompanied by the evidence of this fruit. It's really interesting here. It's like that that word fruit is like singular. It's like one fruit, but it has these nine different expressions. And this is what freedom looks like. We're going to read Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. So this is what freedom 
looks like. Understanding again, Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul's actually bringing to our attention, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Verse 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against things, uh, Against things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desire. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let, um, let, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. That's what freedom looks like. Pretty cool, isn't it? Could you imagine like, if your life was just had such an expression of love? That would be a pretty freeing life, wouldn't it? You know, That the things that come against love is like completely left out and you're just living by love. You know, what about peace? You know, like if your life was just like this expression of peace was just overflowing. From, would that be freedom? Yeah. Right. Now, if peace was actually crippled in your life, would that be like a bit of slavery? Mm. See, that's what we're talking about here. And Chelsea kicked it off last week talking about love. I'm going to go into one of the virtues which I believe is so deficient in the world and really deficient in a lot of places. It's hard to find this, this virtue. It's called Joy. Is anyone full of joy here today? Yeah. Mitchell, you got some joy? A little bit of joy. <laughs> Let's see if we could add to your joy, my brother. <laughs> joy, the virtue of joy. We're going to be talking about joy today. Listen to this. It might um, make you do a bit of a head tilt, um, but listen to this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Now, it sounds a bit odd because Christmas has already come, hasn't it? Sounds a bit odd. But I understand Christmas has already happened, which actually means that Christ has already come. You see, everything that was supposed to bring joy has already happened. And my contention is, if all this stuff has already happened, then why am I so often deficient in joy? Joy to the world, the Lord has. I ain't talking about Christmas like 2019. I'm talking about over 2,000 years ago, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And yet I live in 2020 and there's a deficiency of joy which was made available over 2,000 years ago. That doesn't make sense. But we live in this world where it seems we have this deficiency of something that has been made available thousands of years ago. And to even make this conversation a little bit more serious, we need to consider that joy actually has a really pivotal role in the life of a Christian. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says this, and Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, joy has a really important role to play in your life and my life because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, now going to the gym, they might give like Tim some good biceps over there. Man, mm, you look good. You know what I'm saying? I wish I looked like you. Um, not really. <laughs> I'd look better. Um, but <laughs> I'd look. <laughs> that's not what I meant. <laughs> Beck, that's not what I meant. <laughs> now, you can, get, you can get some strength in your body. But for the Christian, joy is supposed to be the strength that will propel you through life. So if there is a deficiency of joy, there's going to be a deficiency of strength, which is going to make you weak. 
So if joy is available and we live in 2020 and there's a deficiency of joy, yet the joy of the Lord is our strength, this makes this conversation quite important. Really, really important. There are a lot of things that we could possibly live without. You know, I could possibly live without like, you know, a a couple of donuts every so often. I could possibly live without that. But joy is one thing that we cannot live without. We absolutely need it in our life. Joy is strength for the follower of Jesus, and without strength, we are weak. And it's really important for us to understand that the devil has a real primary strategy when it comes to dealing with us as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's very, very effective. He will come and he will try to steal our joy. That's what he does. You need to understand something about the devil, right? He's not powerful, but he's very smart. And he has proven strategies that seem to work over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we give the devil far too much credit because we need to understand that any authority that the devil does have, we gave it to him in the first place. We gave it to him. So if you gave it to him, take it back. You know? He's in your household. He's in your family. He's running amok. Seriously. Stand up and say, no, nah, that time is over. I'm taking my authority back. And now I'm going to whoop your little backside. I mean, are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Right? Can't undo the resurrection. Game over. Anyway, Psalm 51 verse 10. Like, listen to this. Um, I feel like I'm in a funny mood. I think it's because I've had lack of sleep, but you guys can deal with that. <laughs> Psalm 51 verse, verse 12. David says this, Restore to me the joy of your... Everyone say your. your. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David identifies that it is the joy of, it's not the joy of my salvation, it's actually the joy of your salvation, that our joy actually comes from the acts of God. And there are times when I'm going to need, as David does right here, there are times when I'm going to need you, my God, to restore the joy of your salvation to my life. It lets us know that even King David needed his joy restored from time to time because joy seems to leak, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to actually just stay there. It seems to leak, and sometimes it leaks a lot. And there are certain places and certain times, and you know, you could even go and you could sit with someone, and you know what? They just suck, they just suck the joy right out of you. You know, you're not going to get that joy back. Go somewhere else, I sucked it out again. And you know what's crazy? This is what's crazy, right? You can go to a certain person or certain group and they, they suck the joy and you keep on going back over <laughs> I don't get it, but you just keep going back to the same. You just suck the joy out of me. Oh, I'll go back over there. Joy leaks at all over different places. Joy can leak at work, can't it? Not in my job. I, I work in churches. Never leave. <laughs> never. <laughs> Don't worry, Dave. Never leaks. <laughs> never leaks. <laughs> what about at home? Like joy can actually leak at home. You know, it, it can. You know, what, what happens when criticism comes? You, you, never, you didn't see that happening. What about when you have these ideals and these ideas and these dreams? And some of them, they can fly. But a lot of times, some things actually fall flat in their face. And you know what? Joy leaks even then. Joy does leak. 
And I think that's important for us as followers of Christ to understand that if the joy of the Lord is our strength and joy does leak, we need to have a mindset and actually keep in like an account of where we actually are in that quotient of joy. Because if joy does leak and we do not acknowledge it and we do not recognize it and we don't do anything about it, we can actually start living a life which is a contradiction to the Word of God. Not because we're a bad person per se, because you're not, all because the joy of the Lord is your strength and you just lost your strength. You just lost your strength. And sometimes we just need to be the family of God. And if we see someone who is struggling, we just need to come alongside and say, dude, what's going on? And, and they might say, you know what? This has happened, this happened, this happened. And you go, oh, I see what happened. You just lost your joy. Well, let's actually start a process of actually renewing and restoring the joy of the Lord in your life. But it does leak. Um, and the devil's strategy is seeing a life destroyed, um, in seeing a life destroyed is to ensure that joy does leak. So you need to understand that we can come to church, lift up holy hands, sing hallelujah, go home, but there is an enemy out there who will actually try at every single point to try and steal your joy from you, all right? And understand again, the devil is not a creator, he's not God, he is limited in his power, his authority, and his control, he is limited. But you know what? If he can steal our joy, we'll go and stuff everything else up. That's all he needs to do. You know, if he can steal my joy for my marriage, right? If he can steal the joy I have to being married to Andrea and I have no joy for my marriage, I'll go and wreck the rest. I'll go do the rest, you know? He can't steal your job, but he can steal the joy you once had for your job and then you'll do the rest. He can't steal your family, but he can steal the joy you had for being a father, for being a mother, and then you'll go do the rest. He can't steal your joy for ministry. He can't steal your ministry, but he can steal the joy you once had for ministry, and then you'll do the rest. See, that's how the devil works. It's a proven strategy. How's your joy today? How's that tank today? Are you joy filled or are you joy less? How's it going? Carl Barth once said, it's astonishing how many references there are in the Old Testament and New Testament to delight, to joy, to bliss, exaltation, merrymaking and rejoicing. And how emphatically these are demanded from the book of Psalms all, from the, book of Psalms, all the way to Philippians. Indeed, from shout, to, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, in Psalm 100, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in Philippians and dozens of places before and after and in between, we are urged to live joy-filled lives. When believers do little, a little self-reflection, not many point to a joylessness. There's something that needs attention. And I think that even as a pastor, there's so many times where I will get up and I will encourage congregations, not just New Spring, not just Kalamunda, but I'll go around the place and I'll encourage Christians all over the place and say, we need to turn from materialism. We need to be united. We need to turn away from destructive habits. And we issue manifestos about caring for the poor and caring for the planet. And all of these things are right. And all of these things are good. But when is the last time you actually heard someone get up and make this statement to Christians saying, you just need to be more joyful in your life because that is something that we all need to hear over and over and over again rejoice in the Lord sometimes no rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice rejoice joy is not to be this elusive thing for the Christian 
where we reach and we restrain and then we feel like we can't find it. So because we can't find it, we compensate and we get other things because joy is joy and other things are not joy. And we may reach and we may strain and we may compensate, but whatever we reach for, if it's not joy, it is not going to bring the strength that we need in order to live our life. Does that make sense so far? All right. Big idea for today. It's a very, very simple one, which everyone here knows, and it's almost silly for me to speak it, but here we go. Joy has a source. It's important to know that. It's really important to know that if we understand and recognize that joy does leak, it's a little bit like I've got a car running out of petrol, I need to go fill it up. Where do I go? Well, I'm not going to go to HJ's, right? Don't fill something else, but not my car. If our lives are not joy-filled, it is an advantage for us to know that joy has a source. Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. It's interesting that Paul's writing this um, letter um, to the church in Philippi, and he's writing from a prison, not a prison like what we have here in Western Australia. He's writing from a dungeon. And he's in this predicament, and he's writing a letter of encouragement, and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Joy has only one source, and that one source is God. Centuries earlier, David um, tells a secret which is still in play, which is still as real today as it was the day he penned it in Psalm 16, verse 11. He says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So get this, Paul says rejoice in the Lord. You can't rejoice in anything else. You can't find joy in any other place, but you'll find in the Lord. And centuries earlier, David says, it's in your presence, that's where there is fullness of joy. There is a place to find joy. It's found in the presence of God. I believe for the most part of us here, you would have found some joy as we were worshipping because there was a beautiful presence of God. Well, there still is a presence of God here, but you know what I'm saying? Worship is a beautiful presence of God here. The thing I find interesting and the thing that I um, get stuck on a lot of times and um, if I get stuck at a lot, you guys might be more spiritual than me, I don't know, but I get stuck on how I actually get to that place where joy is found. How do I get there? I mean, it's well and good. Like We can do the nice Christian thing and say, you know what? You know, God is a source of joy. Amen. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Amen. But how in the world are you supposed to get there? You know what I'm saying? How do you get there? So much of our life is tracking in a direction which is opposite as to how we actually get there. How do we get there? But knowing that there's a place, I mean, that's not good enough. I need to know how to get there. Psalm 100. None of this should be new for you, New Spring. I've been ratting on about this for eight years now, right? Psalm 100. 
Shower joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is good. He made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Consider verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Some people think it's like a mystery how you actually get into the presence of God. There's no mystery at all. It is the most simplest thing on earth. It is so simple, yet it is so neglected. The avenue, the pathway, the way to entering into God's presence is simply giving thanks. Saying thank you. Having a heart of gratitude. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. I will enter his courts with praise. It's a heart of gratitude. It's a praise. It's a response of what God's already done. I thank God because of what he's already done. I'm not coming here and like sort of say, okay, God, here's the deal, right? I know Simone and team are up and here's the deal. You know, that new song, Freedom? All right, I'll clap if you do this. All right, are we cool with that? Isn't that ridiculous? You know, like coming over here, you know, I'll do this, God, but I'm expecting you to do that. No, 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 no. Our life is a response to God. You know what I'm saying? My life and my worship is a response to what he has already done. And what he's already done is sufficient that if he never did anything else in my life, I would still worship him and I would still give thanks. And I would still, you know what I'm saying? But because he is so good, he is so gracious, every single day there are new, there are new tender mercies. Every night he is singing over me. Every single day there are new blessings. I mean, if he did nothing else, I would still worship him. I would still praise him. I would still give thanks. But my God is such an amazing God that every single day he's given me another reason to praise him. It's a heart of gratitude. I love that old hymn. Hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Have you ever done that? Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Like even think about it today. I mean, what has the Lord done? You know? He's been so he's been so merciful to me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I was like, I was like stressing out last night. You know. Like, I was just like saying to Andrew, like, I want to go to bed early, you know? I think Constance told me what I did wrong, you know? You know, like, I psyched myself out of sleeping because I went to bed early. It's like, I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. Guess what? I could not sleep. And the more I could not sleep, I'm thinking, I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. I could not sleep. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. You know, wake up and think, oh, Lord, you need to come to the party. I need to speak it like Kalamunda, right? Okay, go, get through Kalamunda. God, you just really need to do something. Now I'm going to speak it. How beautiful is God, you know? He gives me strength. And like, how, how amazing is that? You know? How incredible that we're here. How, how, ama- how amazing is it that you're sitting in church and you're not bored at the moment? And if you are, do not say anything. <laughs> Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. But how often we don't do that. 
Annie J. Flynn, a woman who was blind, had cancer, had arthritis as an orphan, pen this. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Wow. So you can be blind. You can have cancer. You can be an orphan have arthritis, and still be thankful. Wow. My goodness. And still be thankful. Because giving thanks is a choice that we get to make. We don't have to. And let me be honest, a lot of people don't. But let me say this. It might might be something that actually prompts us. A joyless life is a thankless life. A joyless life is a thankless life. And if we ever find ourselves in a life where we say, you know what, I am deficient in joy right now, maybe we simply have just stopped thanking God for the blessings in our life. And if we know that this is the reason why, like I'm in this predicament, it's very easy to turn that around. You know, it's very easy. You could be in the grumpiest of moods, you know, like wake up in the morning, haven't had your coffee, go to your coffee machine, run out of beans, thinking, oh, dear, this is going to be a bad, bad day. And you can still actually just grumpy all like non-coffee like Dave, so you know what, God, I'm just going to thank you anyway. (laughs) You know, I thank you that I've got a machine that I can't use because... Enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. Now, we live in a world where there are very, very common enemies. And I could rattle off heaps. There are enemies to gratitude and giving thanks to God. One really common one's complaining. Anyone love a complaint? Let's be honest. Like, who doesn't love having a great complaint? <laughs> Do you like re- who doesn't mind having a good grumble? <laughs> it feels good, right? <laughs> Is that just me? It feels good. Problem is, it cuts off the avenue of thanksgiving. It really does. Like, if you allow that stream to flow, you cannot have grumbling and complaining and thanksgiving coming out of the same thing. It just doesn't happen. But it feels good. It, re- it feels really good. <laughs> and you know what? You know the great thing about grumbling and complaining? There's always something to complain about. Always, always, because every ship, doesn't matter what ship you're looking at, whether it's a family, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a church, whether it's a business, every ship leaks somewhere. So there's always something to grumble about. No family's perfect. No such thing as a perfect workplace. Guess what? There's no such thing as a perfect church. Isn't that right, New Spring? Yeah. Mate, we got halls all over the place. <laughs> but for the grace of God... There is always something to complain about. Philippians 2 verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked 
crooked and perverse people. There is supposed to be a stark difference between the way we live and the way the rest of the world lives. It should be such a distinction that if you went out bush, right, at night, no city lights around, you went out bush at night and you looked up on a clear night, black sky, stars. That is how distinctly different our life should be, right? And that difference is we're the ones who don't grumble and complain. Right? That's it. Don't grumble and complain. Now, that's a hard one because grumbling does feel really good. But if we understand that we cannot complain and give thanks at the same time, we need to understand that that is actually cutting off our source of entering into the presence of God. Does that one make sense? Second one's entitlement. Entitlement. I was thinking, you know what, I could have done like compromise because like compromise and social media and all that. No, actually entitlement's more of an issue for this generation. I think that we as Christians get stuck. There are cultural currents that we get caught in as Christians. And this is beyond generations, this idea of entitlement. Because trust me, I sit with 80-year-olds, um, I sit with 16-year-olds, and like the same stuff happens throughout the generations. doesn't matter, right? But entitlement actually goes contrary to the story of God. Let me show you where the story of God begins. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. That's the beginning of our story, right? No surprises there. Our story starts with this sentence, and our life is to be framed by this truth, that God is the creator, we are the creation, God is the owner, we are the stewards, Therefore, God is the one who has the rights and we are the ones who have the responsibility. That's how stewardship works. This is Dave Ryder's church. No, it's not. Don't put that on me. This is Andrew and I. This is not our... Like, we, we come here, we belong here, but this church does not belong to us. Does not. Uh-uh. <laughs> Don't put that on us. Now, we serve. We steward. He has all the rights. And he says, Dave, I want you to serve. So I steward. And I hold it lightly. I hold it lightly. You want to know the vulnerability of ministry? Especially if you get up on that stage. The vulnerability of ministry is that we get that close to his glory. And we dare not touch it. That's the vulnerability. And I've seen so many people get that close to his glory and they go and touch it. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Right? I love what Rick Watts says. Keep your grubby fingers off his church. <laughs> Keep your grubby little fingers off. But that's how stewardship works. Now, now, now we, need a, we need to keep in mind that ordering because otherwise we fall into entitlement. You can't have 
an attitude of entitlement if you, you understand the story of God. You know, in the beginning, God. You know, if you understand God's the creator, you know, God's the owner. Seriously, you, you can't be thinking that, that you and I, like, I can't be thinking I'm entitled to something if I have, first and foremost, no, God owns this. And I just steward this. Does that make sense? Psalm 100 again, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Uh Aha. Acknowledge. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now, I remember when I first came to this church almost eight years ago, and there were some people who thought the church belonged to them. Isn't that right, Trev? Turns out it belongs to God. <laughs> but we can easily get caught into that. It's very, very human, okay? And part of our job and part of our responsibility is that when we see people and they slip into this entitlement mode is to actually come alongside with grace and come alongside in love and gently but firmly just say, you know what? This belongs to God and you're not God. You have to gently do that. But all of us are really susceptible to that. Does that make sense? You know? If I somehow get that ordering twisted, then my idea of my place in this world gets warped, okay? And it is impossible to have genuine gratitude and have genuine thanksgiving if my heart is that way skewed where I feel like I'm entitled. If I feel like I'm entitled, I'm not going to give thanks to God, you know? I think it's still incredible that the Lord has asked Andrew and I to serve as senior pastors, I consider myself the biggest imposter in this room, you know. From time to time, I'm waiting for someone to give me a tap on the shoulder and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not qualified, you're not credentialed to do this job. Why do I'm still blown away with the generosity of God that he will enable me to to sit and to stand in places of influence where I can serve people. But if I ever got in my mind, no, I'm entitled to this, there's no way I can give thanks. And if I can't give thanks... I can't enter into his presence. And if I can't enter into his presence, then I can't find his joy. And if I haven't got his joy, then I haven't got any strength. And if I haven't got any strength, I'm just faking it. And that's a terrifying place to be anyway. So it's hard to replenish joy. It's hard to serve the Spirit. It's hard to have a heart that can produce this kind of fruit when we've allowed ourselves to become entitled in this world. And it's so liberating to understand and acknowledge that God's invited us to partner with Him in what He is doing in this world. And I'm not entitled to anything, but you know what? As a son of God, He has invited me to partner with Him in pushing forward His kingdom. In this world, everyone's gone very, very quiet now. Is that one hit someone's heart? <laughs> You're very quiet. We were having fun up until that point. <laughs> Maybe we should do a series on entitlement. <laughs> if you ever do find yourself where you say, Oh my goodness, I have just fallen to a place of entitlement, just understand you're human, right? And just go before God and say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And he will. 
and just start giving thanks. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your mercy. And you will find your way back into the presence of the Lord like that. A life that is free in Christ is a joy-filled life, not a joyless life. But we need to understand that joy does leak. There's enough places in our world, there's enough people in our worlds. There's enough Twitter feeds. There's enough posts on social media to sap joy out of our life. And if we know that joy is something that does leak, and if we understand and recognize that we do have a real enemy who is seeking to suck the joy out of our life so that we are not strong anymore, it means that we must be very, very diligent to replenish, to replenish, to replenish. Why do we do simple things in our life? Okay, kids, we're going to say grace now. What's grace? Well, we're going to thank God for this food, right? What is that? Giving thanks. Okay, kids, time to go to bed. We're going to pray. What should we pray for? Okay, we're going to thank God. Does that make sense? Thank God. Just simple thanksgiving. I'm so grateful that I get to serve in a beautiful church. Actually, I get to serve in two beautiful churches for now. They haven't kicked me out yet. I've met the most incredible people on this journey. You know? So blessed. It was Lisa's birthday this week. And I was just thinking about Lisa. And I remember... um, (laughs) Don't kill me for this. I remember I was sitting... We had offices down there. I was sitting in an office. And one of the first times I met Lisa, she was like terrified of me. Are you still terrified of me? I remember. I was just thinking about Lisa and I was thinking, you know what? Like about seven and a half years ago, the first time I met Lisa to where she is right now, there's been extraordinary growth. Wow. And I was like, God, I'm so grateful that at the very least, I got to observe that. And at some points may have been able to speak into that, little bits. But that's incredible, you know. Got young Cassie. She used to be a teenager in my youth ministry. And now she's trying to shine, um, show up the senior pastor. Do it. Do it. Show me up, Cassie. Do it. How awesome is that? You know. Got these beautiful guys from Kalamunda. Beck sang this morning. Oh my goodness. Talk about someone who tracks heaven. You don't realize it, but when you open your mouth, it's like, bang. I get to work with Nikki. You know? I'm a little bit scared of Nikki. But she's phenomenal. She's like a field marshal. She keeps everything in line, keeps everything in line. Doesn't she do that, Joanne? She does. On this journey, I'm so grateful and so thankful. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It really will. And as we cultivate this discipline of giving thanks unto the Lord, of having this attitude that is just so grateful to God, we will discover that we are more familiar and we 
find it such an ease to enter into His presence. And when we discover the way into His presence, there is fullness of joy. And when we discover the joy of the Lord, we are strengthened and we are prepared. And we go out into this world and we unleash the kingdom of God. And we don't even apologize for it. Let me pray for you.